don't you grab your Bibles, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 11 is where we're going to begin this morning. I'm going to set the scene a little bit for our next couple of months actually together. But before we do anything else, shall we pray? Shall we pray? Amen. Yes. So Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are here in our midst. What an incredible thought and reality that you, the eternal God, as John puts it, would tabernacle amongst us, would choose to make your dwelling place, not only amongst us, but within us. And Jesus, as you ascended prior to ascending, you said to your disciples, I will be with you. My spirit will come. I'll be with you until the end of the age. And your promise was that as we gather together in your name, there you are in the midst of your people. So we just pray, King Jesus, come and do whatever you desire. Walk the aisles. Bring deliverance. Bring healing. Open our eyes to see you afresh for who you are. We pray for this time we spend in your scriptures. We thank you for your word. May it challenge us. May you use it to accomplish great things for the glory of your name. We pray. Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Romans, and I would always hope that for anybody who was a part of our church family, that there'd be a couple of things that would resonate in our hearts, even if you were just here for a visit. One would be just the passion of the people here for Jesus. He's the reason we come. He's the reason that we worship. He is the desire and the delight of our hearts, to know him, to seek him, to become more like him, as many others. But another I would hope that you would always come away with and be stirred in is our love for his word, our love to encounter him through the scriptures. And so we're going to jump into a, a portion of the Bible, the book of Romans, and spend a period of some months examining and asking the Lord to open up our eyes to see more of him through what is one of the most challenging, confronting, and glorious books ever written. So this is a book, if, for, for those, and I would say this up front as well, whether you've never read the book of Romans, or whether, like me, you've read the book and studied through the book many times, there's always something afresh to grab in this incredible story as Paul unpacks the essence of the gospel. Some have called it the gospel according to Paul. And he's going to talk in, in the pages of this book, weaved within this tapestry of God's incredible grace and the unfolding of his plan, the greatest need, the greatest struggle, the greatest longing, and ultimately the greatest hope, who is... Jesus. It's a story that declares this incomparable mercy of the eternal God and proclaims the story of his matchless love. Let me just give you, just to kind of whet your appetite a little bit, I, I, wanna, I want us to recognize the weightiness of Scripture in general, but particularly as we come to an incredible portion of Scripture and book, a Scripture like this. Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, he said this, that the book of Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. 
In fact, he goes on and he says, uh, it's told that of all of his students and to everyone around, he, he, he called it a necessity that every believer should know verbatim each and every word in the book of Romans in the original language. So if you want to challenge this year from the great reformer himself, brush up on your Greek and launch into the book of Romans. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, he, he was converted May 24th, 1738. In his own words, he said, upon simply reading Luther's introduction to the book of Romans. He didn't even get to the book. He just read Luther's introductory comments and was so convicted about the glorious gospel that Paul unpacks in there. And of course, then went on to found an incredible uh, part of the church that had a great impact for many years. Some more recent scholars, Gordon D. Fee, Douglas Stewart, they remarked or made this comment. They said, this letter, the book of Romans, is arguably the most influential book in Christian history, perhaps in the history of Western civilization. Now, we could go on and on, but I think you get the sense that this is a weighty, incredible, theologically deep life-changingly impacting portion of Scripture. That's some decently high praise. So here's the question for us as we approach this. How are we going to do it justice? Now, we've studied through a number of books of the Bible. I think we, we often do an expositional-type style study, which for, say, the Gospel of John took us a couple of years to get through. I'm suggesting a different approach, only because I think if we took that kind of approach with the book of Romans, and many people have done it, it'd probably end up being a decade-long, not a year-long series. So what I would love to do with this incredibly rich, deep, challenging, weighty book is try and give us a 5,000-feet view. And I'd love for you in your own time to read through this book, study this book if you want, a verse-by-verse expositional study. I can give you many. In fact, I have entire series of commentaries just on how to interpret the book, how to read it, just of introductory material. And I'm trying for us maybe to, to skip over some of those details just so we can take that vantage point and grab afresh the reality of this glorious gospel. Is that okay? Does that make sense? So you might think, well, why have we turned to Romans 11? Well, what I want to do this morning is set the scene a little, not with background and context and detail. We will get into some of that in future weeks. But I want us to ask, if we're taking this, this vantage point of the book of Romans, if we're thinking about what it is that's in Paul's heart as he's writing this particular letter, and we'll talk about the Romans and who they were and perhaps some of the other motivations behind uh, the letter being written. But what, what was Paul's end game? What is it that he's really trying to get across? And I think we get this wonderful moment in Romans 11 that gives us some insight. So I want you to, to read with me. We're going to look at Romans 11 and verse 33. Just a little bit of context and we'll read this passage and we'll, as I said, try and set up this journey over the next couple of months. So the context here for those who have read Romans, you'll know this very well, but Paul has spent the first 11 chapters unpacking this incredible picture of the gospel. 
He starts with personal salvation. He talks about the righteousness of God, talks about justification by faith. He broadens into this tapestry of a a grand soteriology or the unfolding of God's salvation story through the epochs of human history. A God that as as he unpacks and outlines, and this should blow all of our minds, certainly it does his, a God who even uses the rebellion and the sinfulness and the rejection of his own people to declare and proclaim the great and glorious goodness of his mercies. And so he gets to the end of this this chapter unpacking, and there's this little moment in verse 33. Are we there? You turn there? And he starts off, I think we kind of miss in the English. He says, oh, the depth and riches of wisdom. Now, doesn't quite do it justice. In fact, the, uh, the translators don't really know what to do with this portion of Scripture in the English. You'll see there's a few verses here, and we'll read the whole thing in context in a moment, that are kind of paraphrased. In fact, some, some commentators have said, we, we think perhaps he's hit this point, he's unpacked the gospel, and it's almost like he's composing a song. He's, he's, he's gone from this theological prose to some sort of a proclamation, this declaration. So don't read it as, oh, oh. Like he's, he's proclaiming this an ex- exclamation mark. There is this emphatic declaration. There's this exuberant proclamation of praise. That's what we're reading here. So he says this, oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And just one more verse, because I want to link this into verse uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore... He's had this moment of his theology turning into this doxology, this proclamation of praise. He says, to him, it's all about, it's, it's, my mind is blown. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, says the ESV. Some translations, I think, translate it better. It says, in light or in view of the mercies of God, in view of that kind of picture that he's proclaiming, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Just spiritual worship. He's had this moment. He's unpacked theology and he's in praise. He's declaring, whoa, the goodness and the greatness, the majesty and the mercies of God, who is like him. All things are from him and through him and to him. To him be the glory. Amen. In view of that reality, lay down everything you are on the altar. This is the only reasonable, the only... There's no other response in light of that than a wholehearted life laid upon the altar. So what's the point? I'm glad you asked. You see, there is no doubt as we look at this incredible book, as we've seen the weighty praise given to it throughout the last 2,000 years, there's no doubt that there is incredibly great and significant theology. There is. And we're going to cover some of the, the intricacies of what is wondrous theology. But here's what is clear in my reading of the book 
of Romans. It's the title of the sermon, and it's the theme of our message this morning. Here's what is clear, that theology is not the end in and of itself, but in fact, all roads lead to wonder. All roads lead to wonder. See, Paul's conclusion is is not in in view of a a robust systematic theology. He doesn't say, you know, in views in the, the intricacies of atonement theory, they're important and they're wonderful. But he says, in view and with this perspective of the glorious wonder of this God of grace, present all that you are as an offering to him. We could put it this way. See, it's, it's not whether you've understood the theories themselves, in and of themselves, that Paul really seems to be interested in. Can you define the intricacies? He's saying, is your life declaring? Have you found that point like me as I've unpacked this, that all I can say in a proclamation of exuberant praise is, oh, the wonders My mind is blown, my heart is filled afresh with wonder, and my life is laid completely upon the altar. It's a theology that fuels a doxology. It's this incredible picture of God where wonder fuels our worship. There's a great preacher, uh, Martin L. Jones, from a century or so ago. He was in the middle of this debate between... Uh, some different factions and sections in the church, and they were arguing over whether doctrine was more important as the central theme of sermons or whether, in fact, practicality, practical tips. I mean, the truth is both are important. Yeah, We need doctrine. We need good doctrine. Absolutely must have good doctrine. We need practical tips as well, don't we? We need some way to actually apply this to our lives. And yet, in the midst of that, Martin L. Jones, he was stood up in the the middle of the debate, and he said, well, with all due respect, he said, I would say neither. So the purpose of a university lecture is a page of notes. The purpose of a motivational speech is a page of practical steps. He says the ultimate purpose of any sermon is a wonder that leads to worship. That is the point as we come, as we worship him, as we read the incredible truths, an unfolding story of him. It's not just for pages of notes, although that's wonderful. It's not just for practical steps, but it's that our hearts would be moved in wonder to worship him afresh, that our lives would be laid down upon the altar. A greater wonder that fuels a greater worship, a worship that is so complete that all that we are is laid down upon the altar. See, there's a simple truth, isn't there, that the human heart is made for wonder. We're we're made to be moved. I did a little poll with my children this week, and I've got this odd scenario. I used to often use sermon illustrations when my kids were uh, uh, littler, much littler. The illustrations are much cuter when they're four and five and six years of age. And uh, I, I had a lot of people say to me, well, make the most of it now because as soon as they get older, teenage years, they, they won't want to be included in your sermons. Well, it's quite the opposite. They continue. I've got one in particular who's bugging me. She says, Dad, am I in the sermon? Am I, can I feature in the sermon today? And 
So I'm not quite sure what's gone wrong with our parenting. Something went wrong. But I, I took a poll. I said to them, what was the last time you saw something that really moved you, that left you just in awe and wonder? And they came up with a, with a list. Probably we could think of some similar things. One said, well, it was the, the 3D movie that we went to see. 3D movies are back, by the way. I thought they'd gone a decade ago. But funny glasses and things coming out the screens and... Another one said, uh, the third session of youth camp. There you go, Adam. Compliment to you. The presence of the Lord was there, and I have heard some great things about the youth camp. We've got some of our youth still recovering, I think, from <laughs> a wonderful time away. Someone else said, the, the Great Keppel Island sunsets. Just a beautiful part of this wonderful country in which we live. The sun sets over the barrier reef, and it's, it's incredible. It's a, a moving experience, but we are made to be moved. We are. Our hearts are made for wonder. Have you ever thought about the wonders of the universe? We have an amateur uh, space photographer in the church. I don't know whether he's here this morning, but if you've got the time, he'd be more than happy to have a long chat about how he takes these incredible pictures and he sets up over, over a, a long period of time to capture incredible shots of a, a solar system or a, a planet or a galaxy and it's one tiny little fraction of this incredibly huge, vast universe. What is that all about? I think in so many ways it's God proclaiming that he is a God of wonder. In fact, Paul will talk about this in, in Romans. He'll, he'll talk about the fact that actually nobody is without any excuse. Because there is wonder all around us in creation that should point us not to an experience in and of itself, but the wonder should point us towards the one who is wondrous. The purpose of all of this is to fill our hearts with, with wonder. And so Paul, as he's writing this book of Romans, as he's unpacking the glory of the gospel, he's saying, I don't want this to fall short. I don't want you to fall short. This is your goal, that your hearts would be so moved by wonder that, like me, the only response is an exuberant, passionate proclamation and a life laid down upon the altar. That's, that's, that's it. That you would see that kind of God. And see, if we're honest, all of us in our own lives, though our hearts can be moved by wonder, it doesn't take long for that wonder to kind of lose some of its glossy appeal. I found it was... Uh, much more exciting taking my kids when they're a lot younger to the ice cream store. If ever you have the opportunity, a child, a grandchild, borrow a child, there's, there's something wondrously exciting and fulfilling about taking a, a three, four-year-old to the ice cream store. And you walk in and the eyes light up and there's the colors and the tape. The like it's just like, I'm in heaven. And then you buy them. You know, normally it's just still a simple vanilla ice cream. You say, how was it? Like, Dad, this is amazing. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. This is, this is incredible. It's the best day of my life, and I'll tell everybody for a month. We went to the ice cream store. And then you have teenagers. And I took my teens to the ice cream store this past week, bought them some ice cream. And it was a nice ice cream store. And I said, girls, how was it? How was the ice cream? You know what I got in response? I got, So I'm sorry, was that a word? <laughs> Having trouble interpreting the, uh, you know, the technicalities of the grunt. 
But it's amazing, isn't it, how quick we lose the wonder. What happens in the human heart? Dane Ortland, whose uh, devotions I love reading through, he's a great Bible scholar, good reformed theologian, writes these wonderful little devotionals in the morning. And he said this, he said, We've developed a domesticated view of Jesus that for all its doctrinal view has downsized the glory of Christ in our hearts. He asked this question, Have you reduced the Lord Jesus to a safe, containable, predictable saviour who pitches in and helps out your otherwise smoothly running existence? Have you treated what is spiritually nuclear as a double-A battery? How big is your Jesus? How big is this God? When was the last time we fell to our knees, overcome with awe, trembled before the one who in a moment silences the raging of the nations, who with a word causes a dead man to come forth from the tomb, whose voice the wind and waves obey without hesitation? Where is our wonder? Where is our wonder? A couple more moments. Bear with me, and then we'll bring this to a conclusion. Listening to a podcast this past week, I've mentioned it a few times, I know you should all listen, but Jesus Speaks Farsi, and it's a, a guy who interviews these Iranian pastors, just about some of the stuff going on. If you haven't heard, man, there is a lot of stuff happening in the nation right at the moment with riots, and, and yet in the midst of it, God's kingdom is just expanding, it's phenomenal, and this guy was just sharing some of these incredible testimonies, He's, which almost seems to be... It's book of Acts, day-to-day stuff. He's like, yeah, well, you know, the other day we were, um, as a church, we got this horrible news and a member of the congregation had been in this crippling car accident. And they said, look, there's not much hope for him. You know, the body is mangled and we can't even operate. There's broken bones everywhere, um, but there's all this internal bleeding. So we can't even do anything until the internal bleeding stops. So he's like, right, says to the church, we've got to pray. And so they pray and then calls the the hospital up and says, well, how's the guy? And they're like, well, you wouldn't believe it. The the bleeding stopped. So we can now book in, you know, schedule some surgery, but I've got to tell you, it's not bad. Like he's got over 100 broken bones in his body. So this, I think, is the the Friday and the earliest they can book the surgery for is Tuesday the following week. And so they're like, right, we're going to pray. So they prayed and fasted over the, the, the weekend and it comes to the Tuesday morning and He's like, I still don't know exactly when this took place, but they wheeled the guy in for surgery. I don't know if he'd been prepped or anything, but at some point as they're about to get ready for the surgery, they're like, he's completely healed. He's got no broken bones in his body. Other than he had three fingers that remained broken. So he's like, I, don't, I still don't understand that one, other than God just saying, just a reminder that there's, you know, there's something there and... And so this guy was, was completely healed. They said it was a bit like the, you know, they're, they're praying for, uh, for Peter in, in jail and he gets set free and then knocks on the door. Here's this guy. It's like, oh, you guys praying for me. You know, I'm out, out of the hospital bed. And, but it was this interviewer who's a UK guy is like, why do you think it is that the Iranian church is just seeing these incredible miracles? And he says, he put it this way. He said, and, and this Iranian pastor had actually studied, he'd gone to the UK to go through Bible college and then come back and pastor a church in Iran. And he said, in his own words, he said, to me, I think it's something to do with the difference between explanation 
an encounter. And he said, in the West, we prioritize and elevate an explanation. That's what we want. We want an explanation. And often it comes from a good place because he said, if, if it's not something we can complain, uh, we can explain, then it's something that could be a construct of our own humanity. So that's, that's their motivation. And he said, it's actually the very opposite for us in the Iranian church, where we prioritize. Explanation is great. Theology is wonderful. But we prioritize the encounter or the experience because, he said, if we can explain it, then we are worried that it's just a construct of our own humanity. So we're actually looking for something that's greater than what we can explain. Isn't, isn't that what this Bible is? Isn't it a book of wonder? Isn't it a book of God doing the impossible? He's raising dead people. I mean, there's not much of an explanation for that. And, and so that was his, his way of kind of explaining this tension of we live, in my words now, we live with this expectation of wonder and worship. Not just of nice, neat little boxes, nice, neat little church, nice, neat little everything's there. It's containable. It's controllable. Now, I'm not in any way undervaluing explanation. I don't want you to hear that. I'm not in any way undervaluing theology. I want us to be theologically sound. I want us to love Scripture for the truth that it is presenting. Rises and falls on the truth that it proclaims. But I don't want us to get stuck there as the end rather than the means to the end. A theology that fuels our doxology. Now, I am praying that we see in our time and our day just a fresh move of the Spirit. I really am. I'm praying that we see a revival. I'm praying that hearts are quickened and awakened. I'm praying that there's a fresh passion in the hearts of, of people to pursue and know Jesus. I'm praying that we'll see the book of Acts in our city, that that's the normal story. Well, let, let's pray. And we see God do the miraculous. And I'm convinced that one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle is this place of coming back to a heart full with wonder. Where he's the one we come to worship and adore. Can I get the worship team back up here? So it's my prayer for us that we'll certainly look at some incredible theology. We'll certainly explore the, the great wonders of this book of Romans. But my real desire is that our theology would fuel a doxology in a new and fresh and profound way. That there would be a wonder that would fuel our worship to such a degree... That as Paul said, every breath is lived joyfully and completely on the altar. An old revivalist of 100 years or so ago, Gypsy Smith, he says, I love this quote. He says, how do you pray for revival? How do you pray for God to do something new and fresh? He said this, you go home, you lock yourself in your room, you kneel down in the middle of your floor, you draw a chalk mark, and you ask God to start the revival inside that chocolate. When he's answered your prayer, revival 
has begun. Can we stand? I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray and ask you a question. But I want to draw a chalk line around us. I want to ask that the Lord would do something new and fresh, not just in our lives personally, but in our midst. Would you just close your eyes? Just turn your attention to Him, and I want you to be honest before I pray. As I ask you, how is your wonder? How is your wonder? Is it the nuclear Jesus? Is it the double A version? Is it the little kid in the ice cream store where it's just amazing? I'm just beholding afresh. It's incredible, the glorious grace. Or is it like, to be honest, so often we can become more of a, yeah, a discontented side? Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. Taste it better. It's my prayer, it's my desire this morning that God would bring us back to that place of fresh wonder. Let him stir up something fresh. This is not something that we need to work and strive for. Something as we uh, ended worship with, to just be still. To be still and to So I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us here, just in this holy moment. Lord, would you silence the distractions and the noise that are all around us, so evident, so prevalent, the voice of the enemy, the stuff hanging around. And Lord, would you help us just appear, just for a moment, heavenly throne as we sung about before just catching a glimpse of the one whose beauty is beyond description the one before whom day and night the angels cry holy 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 to see as John proclaimed he was taken up the lamb upon the throne the one found worthy the elders casting their crowns it's the only response Lord would you revive a fresh one pray particularly this morning for any of us here maybe it's one, maybe it's many where there's just been stuff maybe it's this year, maybe it's the last year maybe it's the last decade there's just been stuff that's just it's dampened it's stolen, it's distracted, it's hindered that passion and that affection for Jesus for 
fresh fire of first love to awaken this morning in the hearts of your people. Well, we're just going to spend a few moments here and ask the guys just to lead us in worship. It's an opportunity, maybe this morning the Lord's just putting on your heart just to kneel in his presence, just that simple thing of surrender. Maybe there's some things that you know you need to lay down. Maybe there's some things you know you need to pick up. Just as we uh, spend a few moments in the presence of the Lord as well, just invite the prayer teams to come forward. You can certainly allow the Lord to minister to you where you are, but there's something significant. The Lord's leading you to come and just get the laying on of hands. If there's things that you know this morning you need broken off. If there's just been a, an effort and a striving, I feel like the Lord wants to bring some of us back to that place of just resting in His grace and His goodness. If you've come this morning and there's physical pain in your body, come forward and receive prayer for healing. What scriptures say? James says, if anyone's sick and struggling, come get the elders to pray for you. The prayer of faith will raise them up. It's not the last resort, it's the first resort. This power is present here to heal and to deliver and restore. The prayer teams are up here. If you want prayer, come forward. And just lastly, if there's anyone here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus, joy to pray with you and introduce you to the purpose not only of your existence but of all humanity's existence the author the perfecter, the finisher the one who came to save to rescue and redeem just invite you to step out and come and see me this morning and I'd love to pray with you we sing something? You guys lead us. When you're ready, as I mentioned earlier, the cafe is open. The courtyard, which is out the doors to my left, to your right, is there. It is sausages ready for fellowship. We're going to enjoy some time together, but don't, don't rush away. Just linger a little. We're going to linger this year. Spend some time in his presence. If you want prayer, now's the time to come. Let's worship and then let's enjoy some fellowship. Amen.